This is On Location. I'm Joe Mamlin. On today's episode, Pat O'Donnell sits down with a distinguished panel to discuss child support awareness. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special help from the podcast subcommittee chair, Tim Leitner. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. Today, Pat O'Donnell is joined by Deborah Barnes, Wally McClure, and Sharon Santilli. They discuss child support awareness, a focus on families, and how the program has impacted their communities across the country. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the NCA Child Support Awareness, Focus on Families podcast. This is Pat O'Donnell, your host for today's discussion. I'm with Young Williams, a company focused on health and human services and child support programs. It's my privilege to work in the child support community. The United States Child Support Program ensures that children in single-parent households receive a reliable source of private financial and medical support. Today, the program supports more than 15 million, or one in five of the nation's children from all socioeconomic backgrounds. The program increases family self-sufficiency, reduces child poverty, and encourages both parents to be involved and committed to their children. The Office of Child Support Enforcement within the federal government reported that in federal fiscal year 2019, the preliminary report shared that more than $28 billion was collected through the program and distributed to families. As child support professionals, we often focus on the numbers, knowing it is important to set and meet both quantitative and qualitative goals of excellence. During today's discussion, we want to focus on the families and the children whose circumstances and lives have been positively impacted due in part to the child support program. Our three distinguished panelists will bring the program to life through sharing personal recollections and remind us of why the work that we do every day is so important and impactful. Joining us today are Deborah Barnes, Wally McClure, and Sharon Santilli. 
Deborah is the 4D director for the Child Support Program in Wisconsin. With over 20 years of experience working in the Wisconsin Child Support Program, Deb believes that building strong collaborative relationships is the key to continuing the core mission of the program. One of her highest priorities is working with her colleagues to modernize the child support program using innovative ideas to ensure that we provide agile, robust services to families, especially as we navigate the new normal resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. Sharon is the 4D director for the child support program in Rhode Island. Sharon's been the 4D director for the Department of Human Services, Office of Child Support Services since 2004. Prior to that, she served as chief legal counsel. She's been a child support professional in Rhode Island for 33 years. She serves as past president of NCEA in 2008 and served on the NCEA board for over 10 years in various capacities. She also served as the past president of NCCSD in 2015. Wally McClure is the former director of the Division of Child Support for the state of Washington and currently the proprietor of Raven Wings Consulting. Wally is actively engaged with NCEA and is a valued advisor and mentor within the child support community. Thank you, Wally, Deb, and Sharon for joining us today. Uh, so I'd like to suggest that one way we consider our work is by framing it with the idea that we want to reduce the likelihood of adverse childhood experiences for children on the case. And that one of the ways we might affect that is by increasing the possibility, and that I think we do affect, is by increasing the possibility that two parents are positively involved in that child's life. So we as a child support culture if we can move from an adversarial starting point to a collaborative starting point, beginning with the assumption that the parent wants to be supportive for their child, I think we open up so many more possibilities for our family than maybe we did traditionally. Mm -hmm. It seems like custodial parents who are getting support regularly tend to be more receptive to the other half of the equation, which is visitation, making that two-parent relationship really possible. And, and I see that as a huge game changer. It's something that we haven't focused on um, uh, really, and, and for many years we're advised not to focus on at all. But, you know, to reduce poverty and multi-generational poverty and increase educational outcomes and reduce justice involvement, all those things can be so positively affected when two parents are involved in a kid's life. Absolutely. That's great insight. Thank you, Wally. Sharon, what are your perspectives on this issue? Well, if I may reminisce a little bit, as a backdrop, when I began as a child support prosecutor 33 years ago, the emphasis was very much on judicial enforcement, contempt motions, leading to incarceration in many cases. Also at that time, the caseload was primarily comprised of AFDC cases, families receiving cash uh, assistance. So we were very focused on enforcement, and reimbursing the state and federal government for the cash benefits remitted. So fast forward, with so many changes in the federal and state law and regulations over the years, we really began to focus on working with the non-custodial parents, mostly the dads, and we began focusing on the important role a father plays in the life of a child. And for the first time, we began getting involved in 
fatherhood organizations. We began referring to dads for job training and placement, assisting with modifying orders if they became unemployed, underemployed, or incarcerated. And at the same time that this was going on, with the stricter TANF work requirements, the caseload began to transform. So as we know, about 95% of our collections nationally are remitted directly to families, those not receiving any kind of cash benefits at all. And we also know that child support represents about one-third of a family's monthly income. So just with that background in mind, I would say the most positive impact I've observed is the result of the child support community changing its philosophy and approach, much uh, with what Wally was saying. We've become more family focused. We're providing services to the entire family. We're helping the custodial parents because they need that child support consistently coming in monthly. And we're also providing those services to the non-custodial parents, securing employment, right-sizing orders, and making sure that the enforcement we do employ fits the circumstances. So I think that the fact that most of the child support that we collect is remitted directly to the family rather than retained by the state and federal government really changes the way that parents and the public in general view the program, and it has a very positive effect on families. Great. Well, thank you, Sharon. Deb, as you look at this from the Wisconsin point of view, what do you believe is are some of the most positive impacts? Well, thank you, Pat. I, I have to say my thoughts echo both Wally and Sharon's statements. I think the paradigm shift from a cost recovery program focus to the needs of the family as a whole have made a significant improvement in the program. The emphasis on establishing orders that are set according to a person's actual ability to pay is a great improvement in our program and created an emphasis on employment services to assist the paying parent find meaningful employment is also taking the program in a very positive direction. In the state of Wisconsin, we have had great success with job and employment programs as well as uh, fatherhood initiatives. So with a whole family approach and the child support services, we are helping to build strong and healthy families. Well, that's great. And that kind of leads us right into my next question. So Deb, I'm gonna stay with you if you don't mind and ask you if you have any additional thoughts on how we all stay family focused across all of our different initiatives, because we get very tied up in the operational day-to-day -day details. How do we make sure that we keep those families foremost in our thoughts? Sure, um, continued collaboration and sharing best practices can help us build on the progress that has been made already in our service delivery to families in the child support program. As we continue to adapt our ability to use Zoom and other virtual platforms, we can come together more often, not only as states, but across the country. We don't necessarily have to wait for in-person conferences and meetings to discuss our struggles and share initiatives. Even though there have been challenges with staying connected in this remote environment, I think I have come to appreciate more than ever how important communicating with each other is. And to remember that our focus is to improve the lives of children and families so that they can go on to serve as healthy individuals in this country. Yep, that's certainly our goal, absolutely. 
Sharon, what are you doing in Rhode Island to make sure that we all stay family focused? Well, I want to give some suggestions about how we maintain that. First of all, I would strongly suggest that everyone in the child support program, including the 4G director, by the way, and the managers, consistently uh, be involved on the front line, so to speak. So respond directly to phone calls from parents, handle cases. You know, we need to be aware of what the current issues are affecting our families every day. We need to continue to collaborate with advocates who work with our shared population, whether it's community-based organization, fatherhood groups, legal services. It's really important to know those daily issues confronting our customers, especially during COVID. I'm, I'm very fortunate in Rhode Island. I mean, I only have a staff of 74, which includes the attorney. So I'm on the front line every single day. And I know what the issues are for the families that we serve. And it encourages me to stay family focused. I would really suggest, and this has worked well for Rhode Island, that child support agencies form advisory committees comprised of you know, community advocates, staff from state agencies that we collaborate with. It's just a great way to keep a pulse on the issues facing our customers. And we also receive a lot of constructive, I don't wanna say criticism, but suggestions for improvement for the program. And I think last, but I think the most important way that we in Rhode Island stay family focused is through community work by basically giving back to the community. So my staff and I really love our community projects. We've done things in our office over the years which include, you know, dress down days for, to benefit a charity, Thanksgiving baskets for our 4D families, adopt a 4D family, adopt a teen that's in placement. We've done uh, donate bags of hope for teens in placement, food collections, etc. But the one consistent project that I want to let everyone know about that we're really proud of in Rhode Island is we have a child support cozy closet. And I think I wrote an NCA article at one time about this. We started it in 2014 and we collect and offer free clothing, toys, school supplies, small household items. Most of the community and child support staff and friends and staff keep it very well stocked. We have a lot of people that donate brand new items for school as well. And I have to tell you, after every child support advisory committee meeting, there are at least two or three people that have brought their donations with them and they're very happy to do so. So the closet is open to the public. They can take whatever they want. And the staff just love to see the kids with the toys or the clothes in their arms, just leaving with a smile on their face. It, it does a lot to boost morale for the staff and it's just a way to really give back. We also have a free book library with all books donated by the United Way in our uh, reception area. It's just a way to keep us family focused. These are the families we serve. It's more than child support. It's about helping them with other needs as well. Well, they are wonderful suggestions, Sharon. Thank you very much for sharing those. Wally, what are your thoughts? Boy, there's so many different thoughts just bouncing around in my head about all of this. And I was so impressed with Sharon and Deb's responses too. So I think one of the challenges that families are having, that parents are having right now, is, is the economy that's happening in, in conjunction with um, the events of the, of the COVID pandemic. 
For example, people need modifications. Parents who are paying and have lost jobs and custodial parents who didn't think they needed a modification, but now they're facing financial challenges. And yet our modification process, you know, at best, I think takes months and sometimes way too many months. So, so I think, I think one of the challenges that faces us is, is how do we streamline that? How do we make ourselves more responsive to the, to the financial turmoil that everyone is experiencing right now? And I'm sure some states are experimenting with things that I don't know about, but I think that's a huge challenge. Another that Deb touched on is levering technology. You know, we're, we're all learning right now kind of to use technology to, um, to connect with each other, you know, with the courts or, or with um, other parts of our own state agency or other state agencies. I think there's also some opportunity to connect with parents using the same technologies. For example, if a parent is having trouble filling out, you know, the general testimony or some other humongous form, before she might come in the office for help, but now that's not an option. So maybe video conferencing or some adaptation of video conferencing and screen sharing could be a way to render that form with both a staff person and a, and a customer um, using those, but everybody can be safe in their own homes. I also think we have to ask ourselves if some of the demographic groups are disproportionately disadvantaged or adversely affected by our actions. You know, COVID isn't the only crisis that folks are experiencing right now. And, and such as contempt or license suspension um, that suggest we should take a deeper look at how we use those remedies. And maybe most important along those, that same line of thinking is how we as leaders are called maybe to reevaluate how we delegate responsibility, how we think about succession planning and continuously consider if unintentional biases that we have are influencing minor decisions that can have long-term impacts on our organizations. Knowing that we do every day has positively impacted hundreds of thousands of families across this country. Are there one or two stories that really stand out for you that you can share with our audience? So Wally, I know you have a great story, so I'd like to start with you if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I have I have a couple I'd like to share, so I'll, I'll share one and and then uh, uh, if you want, I'll, I'll share another one in a few minutes or however you want to work it. The first um, is about a father who was justice involved and he was returning into the community and struggling with a whole bunch of stuff, including homelessness and, and um, uh, drug addiction and didn't have any employment prospects. And, and mom wouldn't allow visitation and she lived in another state anyway. And he had a staggering debt and unpayable current support. And we had in Washington, we had just started out with our um, what we called the alternative solutions program. It was in its infancy. We were still figuring out how we were going to help non-paying parents um, uh, who were struggling with barriers. And he was one of their very first customers. And the team worked with him on getting all kinds of support services, including food and housing and medical assistance and and counseling to keep him from, you know, returning to uh, some of his bad habits. And they reviewed the order, they got it modified, they forgave the debt that was owed to the state, and they connected him with job search. And, and, uh, um, and he became uh, uh, kind of a poster child. He, he wound up not only employed, but reconnected to the family. He ultimately moved to uh, Michigan where they lived. The parents, in the end, reconciled. 
And uh, he did a video interview for us that, um, that I think is on YouTube and showed other interested parties and, and we showed it to staff and so on. It, it was an uh, incredibly heart-pounding event to, to, uh, to watch and, and see, you know, the progress that, that they made with one of their very first people that they tried to help. Wow. That's, that's exactly what we all hope to do through the work that we take on each day. So thank you very much for sharing that, Wally. Uh, I may come back to you for your second story if we have time. Great. Sharon, do you have something you wanna share? Oh yes, I do. And that, that was a great story, Wally, I love that. It was really hard for me to choose. I have two stories, I will also share one now and if you'd like, I'd share another later. But the one I have is very recent. For the past three legislative sessions, I've been testifying alongside um, same-gender parents uh, for the passage of the Uniform Parentage Act to promote family equality. So over that three-year period, as you can imagine, many parents courageously took the stand to explain the law as it is written right now seriously impacted their family. There were so many stories. I, I, they were just so emotional. I got to know these families as we waited in the halls to testify. I got to play with their kids as they were in the hall waiting to testify. And I'm just going to tell you about one story, but there were so many um, that just had me in tears every session. So one mom testified that um, she carried a child conceived with the egg donated by her same gender unmarried partner and a sperm donor. So technically, she was the birth mother, but she did not have, you know, a genetic link to that child. So she explained how during the delivery, she became quite ill, and she later had to undergo a medical procedure. And before the procedure, these two parents were trying to complete a voluntary acknowledgement of paternity. But because they were same gender, the law didn't allow them to do so. And during this time, if, if it wasn't that bad, she required a medical procedure and the child was also having medical complications. So the other parent who had the genetic link to the child had no legal authority under Rhode Island law to make any decisions for that child. Fortunately, they all recovered. They later had to go through a very cumbersome lengthy and unnecessary adoption procedure. So this is just one of the, the stories of the dozens of hardship stories that we heard through the legislative session. So I bring this up because by passing the Uniform Parentage Act this session, and it goes into effect, I'm very happy to say January 1, you know, Rhode Island will help hundreds of intended parents a voluntary acknowledge um, parentage, no matter what the circumstances of that birth. And I believe currently there are only four states, including Rhode Island, that have passed the Uniform Parentage Act. And I believe it's pending in six states. And there are only two states that actually have this voluntary process for same gender unmarried parents. So the stories that these parents told and the law that was passed is going to help hundreds of parents in Rhode Island prospectively uh, acknowledge uh, parentage for their child. So 
that was a, that was a particular story that I was involved in and that will impact the lives of many, many parents in Rhode Island. And I have another one, but I'll wait. Well, Sharon, that's inc that has to be incredibly rewarding to know that you and others have worked so hard. You have gotten the legislation passed and approved, and yeah. you're really in a position to positively impact so many lives. Um, that's why and, we do and, this work. Um, yeah. It was incredibly rewarding to go to the signing on the um, on the front of the uh, state house and during COVID with masks yep. on and these families showed up and they all showed up. So oh, that's amazing. Great. That's amazing. Yep, that is very cool. Deb, what's your what's your standout story? Well, I also have a couple, but this is this is probably one of my favorites. Um, there was a gentleman who went to his local child support agency um, that was handling his case. He was very upset because he couldn't pay his child support due to losing his job and other circumstances in his life. After talking with his case manager and exploring employment options, they found that a cheese factory, it's Wisconsin of course, in a neighboring community that was hiring and that it might be a good opportunity for him. He went to that factory, he applied for a job and was hired for a full-time position, which then enabled him to pay his current support and catch up on the past due support. And this in turn opened the door for him to become much more involved in the lives of his children, which was one of his greatest joys. He found success that changed his life for the better, and he is still employed at that cheese factory 18 years later. Wow. Wow. You talk about ripples in a pond. I mean, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Because he's yes, it, not it, only changed was, his life, but the, li the lives of his whole family. Yes, it really That's made a wonderful. difference for him and everyone involved. It, it, and we see that so many times repeated over and over in our um, caseloads across Wisconsin. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the interest of time, I'm going to move to the next question. And if we have time at the end, I'll come back and ask you to kind of give us the cliff notes on your second story, if that works for you guys. As we think about where we are in our careers and the diversity of skills that are required of child support professionals, do you have any advice for people that are either new to child support or perhaps early in their career on how they continue to maintain empathy for families while fulfilling their program responsibilities? Uh, Sharon, uh, do you have a sense of any advice you would give to folks? Yeah, a little bit <laughs> after 33 years. Yeah, I'm um, first. I'm <laughs> so, I first of all, I would really advise them to get involved in organizations like Encia. Um, as a brand new employee, way back when, uh, I found my home in Encia, and all of the people that I commiserate with, uh, learn about new regulations, laws, innovations, best practices. It was just a great network uh, to bounce ideas off. So I think it's important to get involved in organizations and keep your skills current. Know what's going on in the community so you can, you know, you can do your job effectively. I would also, um, as I said earlier, advise them to participate in community events Get involved in the community. Show up at yellow ribbon ceremonies, health fairs, job fairs, conferences. Like we need to be a presence in all aspects of our families' lives. 
I think it's also important to develop and um, nurture your relationship with our sister state agencies. We need them to do our work. We need the Department of Labor and Training. We need the TANF staff. We need the Department of Corrections, Office of Vital Records with the Health Department, the Division of Motor Vehicles, the court. We need to partner with all of those individuals in order to um, do our work effectively. And it's really important to do that. And again, it's not just about child support anymore. They need to keep in mind that, you know, we need to listen to our customers and, and know what their needs are and determine what's available in terms of resources in the community. And that's all very important to you know, to be a, an effective child support professional, in my opinion. I think you've made some really good points, and I think that's great advice. Thank you, Sharon. Wally, I know that you were an instructor this year at NCAU and had the opportunity to engage with a lot of up-and-coming leaders. So what advice or counsel would you offer folks that you haven't had an opportunity to engage with directly? Oh, thanks. Um, so I certainly agree that empathy is the um, is is the key. Uh, you, you know that we have a the, that diversity of skills that you're talking about opens the doors for lots and lots of people to take part in child support and and contribute in different ways. You know, there's there's uh, um, uh, people who are very technically skilled in one area or another who uh, um, can all all help with it. But the fundamental, you know bottom line skill that we all have to have is empathy and remembering that we're all human beings. Um, and the dealing with parents is, is a very vulnerable time uh, that, that we're dealing with parents at a very vulnerable time is essential to, to being successful and listening as Sharon said um, is crucial. I think, I think maybe um, I'll go then to the leaders and, and how it's up to our, us as leaders to make sure that we're painting a vision that, reflects that. You know, Sharon talked about all of the other agencies that are doing things that are related to child support that maybe for years we didn't really think of when we when we sat on our little island and collected money, you know, to reimburse uh, ourselves and, and the federal government. And instead, um, uh, now we're, we're thinking about the whole family and we're thinking about the long-term good of the, of the child that's, uh, you know, that's in that family. Um, so, so how how are we as leaders reflecting that vision and and reflecting the importance of that, and how are our measures um, going to reflect that? Um, uh, we're you know we've been using the same measures for a long time. Are they really uh, the only ones that we should be using to decide if we're doing a good job these days? Uh, and then you know empathy to to expect our staff to to have empathy. Um, and to listen to families means also that as leaders, we need to do the same thing with staff. Staff, you would, we had talked a little bit earlier about how these are unprecedented times with, with uh, the COVID pandemic going on, for example. Our staff are struggling. They're, you know, nobody signed up uh, originally with the child support program to work from home while their children are trying to learn uh, distantly and they're and maybe their um, other adults in the household are trying to access the same bandwidth that they are to get their jobs done too. And, and uh, you know, you can't pick up your milk and your bread on the way home from work anymore. And, and uh, you're seeing the same people every day and not a diversity of people anymore. Uh, and you're worried about, you know, the, the health and safety of everyone around you. You know, how, how do we as leaders make sure we're taking care of the people 
who we want to be empathetic toward um, our, our ultimate customers. And I think that's a huge challenge to, to constantly be um, from a distance in tune with uh, with their you know our 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 all of all of our needs, um, our staff and our customers' needs um, uh, in this crazy time. I guess I would also add that that tenacity is is another skill uh, that that maybe is is part of that whole thing. It's, so I would say empathy and tenacity are sort of interwoven, like you know the two strands of DNA for us. We're so busy. Um, it's tempting to get five more cases done that are kind of easy instead of spending some time or maybe a lot of time on a super difficult case or giving up on the case because the parent who owes support has too many barriers. And I would say uh, we need to reflect that every child is worth our efforts and our attention. That's a really important message, I think, with everyone that we deal with to know that everybody has value. Thank you, Wally. Uh, Deb, I know that you have a lot of experience and we would appreciate any advice you can share for folks that are coming up in their careers. Well, thank you. The Child Support Program offers so many opportunities for us to help families. I don't know of any other program that touches so many areas um, in the lives of families, such as, you know, employment and health insurance and finding the resources that they need to be able to put food on the table for their children. All of those things are so important and it can be really challenging I think sometimes to know as Wally said where to put your efforts but I think as Sharon said it's it's really important for child support professionals to become involved in organizations like NCIA and also the individual state um, child support associations that may be available. The learning and sharing that takes place at these conferences and workshop is so vitally important for personal growth for child support workers and um, maintaining the awareness that we need of the needs of their, our families. And I also believe it's also really important to take advantage of any training available related to diversity and inclusion and is a key component to keeping our for focus on the importance of understanding the needs of the families we serve. We need to enable leaders within our agencies to champion best practices related to diversity and inclusion for all staff and ensure there is support for professional growth, accountability, and an emphasis on continued awareness of how our program impacts the lives of children. That makes perfect, perfect sense, Deb, and uh, we really appreciate you sharing that with us. I'd like to, if we can, uh, capture your second stories because I, that's the purpose of this podcast. So Wally, I'll start with you. Okay. And then I'll, I'll do Sharon and Deb and then I'll conclude. Yeah. Great. So, um, so the second story is a little personal. Uh, my, my brother, uh, who's um, significantly older than I am, retired, and he and his wife uh, did a year of volunteer work in the Philippines. Uh, sizing people for wheelchairs and delivering the chairs and training the recipients to use them effectively and so on. And and so about seven or eight months into their stay, they were delivering a wheelchair to a guy who lived several hours away from, from my brother's apartment, um, down ruddy farm roads outside some village and on the far side of the island that they lived on. And And when they got to the place, there were three people living there. There was the man who was getting the chair and the man's sister, and, uh, and, and the sister's 10-year-old little girl 
who was a redheaded, freckled kid sitting in the yard working on handicraft that the mom sold at market. My sister-in-law couldn't let it go. She had to find out the whole story behind how this, um, you know, little girl um, had red hair and freckles and and was, you know, on, on some farm by herself in the Philippines. And it turned out that mom had worked in South Korea for the U.S. military and um, had married a soldier. And the girl was was a product of that marriage, but dad had taken off. He he, you know, promised to send for them and never did. Returned to the states. Yeah, but mom had mar the marriage certificate and the child's birth certificate and the child's passport, U.S. passport. The child was a U.S. citizen, and so mom actually went to the U.S. consulate in in the Philippines and tried to get something going for child support after she gave up waiting for the guy, and they just turned her away with, there's nothing we can do. So once my brother got back to his apartment several hours later, uh, he called me and said, "What because I was still director of child support in Washington. So he called me up and he said, hey, what are you going to do about this? And, and uh, I said, well, I don't know. So I started by connecting with the manager of our specials collections unit and our intergovernmental ex expert. And I said, is there anything that we can do? You know, is there any way we can help this family? And so they conjured up a scheme. And, you know, they uh, first first they got, you know, um, uh, they, they sent some papers to, to my brother and sister-in-law so that they could be go-betweens, you know, so confidentiality was was protected and, and so on. She had to apply for services in Washington We uh, so that we could do some locate. We, we found the guy in another state. We had nothing... You know, there was no connection in Washington. And, and, uh, but we found the guy in another state. Uh, we got the other state involved. It was a lot of fits and starts, but in the end, uh, there's an order. And so this child who was being ostracized at school and was, was really struggling got enough money. It only, I, I think it was only 50 or 60 bucks a week or something was the final order, but it was enough for, her to get a, get a uniform and school books and go to a private school and be protected and and uh, get the education that she needed. Um, so and she's uh, uh, I don't know if she's graduated or she's about to graduate from high school and they're looking at college and all kinds of stuff. So so um, while while this is a really unusual story in a whole lot of ways, I think it also speaks to the best of us, right? It it it, uh, it shows that while. It would have been easy for Washington and my staff and New Jersey to all, all say the same thing that the consulate said, which is, ah, there's nothing we can do. We don't have some connection, you know, whatever. Nobody did that. Everybody looked at how it could be done instead of, uh, instead of just saying it can't be done. And it called to, I think, I think all of our attention that there's this cadre of United States citizens, children that are citizens, um, I'm sure that this child is not the only one out there who, you know, could use some support. And and finally, uh, it sort of shines a light on how important child support can be in a child's life. You know, uh, sometimes we think about it buying soccer shoes or or, you know, um, uh, the bicycle that the kid wouldn't get or. But in this case, it was education that's going to change this child's life forever. And I think that's true whether you go to the Philippines or whether you go to, to an awful lot of places in the United States, child support can just have this tremendous effect on families. That's an amazing story, Wally. And not only for the mom and her daughter, but for 
the extended family and the opportunities that that daughter will now have that she wouldn't have had otherwise in her life. Exactly. And for any family that she may have. Again, it points out the criticality of the child support program and the fact that we're working to address needs of human beings really all over the globe through the US child support program. So that, that perspective is really interesting, unique, and very important. So thank you. Uh, Deb, do you wanna share your other story with us? In one of our more rural communities here in Wisconsin, there was a gentleman who had many barriers to employment and other issues, and he was living in a tent in the woods, hiding out due to fear and not knowing how to turn his life around. Eventually, his hiding place was found, and he was connected to services that could assist him to get his life back on track. And one of the issues he faced was the inability to pay his child support. So after collaborating with his child support case specialist, they assisted him to find meaningful employment. And that, in turn, inspired him to make some changes in his life. So with the assistance from his local child support agency, he was able to find a job and a place to live and he was subsequently able to pay his child support. He then did something that doesn't happen very often in our world. He actually sent a letter to the child support agency letting them know that with their help with his child support case, he actually credited them that with saving his life. He felt that he would have come to a bad end had they not been there for him in his hour of need and the great assistance that they gave him. So that was really a, a tremendous thing for both the gentleman and for the agency to be able to see that they do make a difference in the lives of people. Wow, that he was so affected that he took the time to write a letter. It, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And again, the positive impact on he and his family. I can't imagine the changes he had to undergo to reach <clears throat> a productive point in his life, but my goodness, what a testament to the workers and the programs that were employed on his behalf. So thanks very much for that, Deb. Uh, Sharon? Yeah, how, thank you, Pat. Please share your story with us, yeah. Um, so Rhode Island is the very proud host state for the Child Support Lean Network. Um, it's a highly successful 32-state consortium, and Rhode Island formed this consortium to collect past due child support by placing liens on insurance settlements. Um, we have a very strong partnership with the insurance industry that enables us to do that. So basically, through a data match with the insurance industry, we're able to identify and place a lien on a personal injury settlement for past due support for all of the obligors that the 32 states uh, share with us for that purpose. Um, basically, Rhode Island, like many other states, has intercepted numerous settlements for past due support in cases that have otherwise never received a payment. So for whatever reason, this non-custodial parent may have eluded all of our enforcement tools that we employ on a regular basis. But because of this tool, I, I'll never forget that in it was in 2016, because this was the highest settlement that we have ever intercepted, we had the opportunity to call a parent to let her know that we placed this lien on a settlement that her not, the non-custodial parent was receiving um, on her behalf for $100,000. She was so appreciative. 
She was crying on the phone that she had never received any child support from this individual and her child was turning 17. So what she said to us was that she was going to use this money to pay for college tuition. So, I mean, that's just one success story um, that is the result of the Child Support Lean Network intercepts. There's hundreds of stories all over the country of these settlements helping families. So this particular enforcement mechanism that we are so proud of in Rhode Island has helped thousands of families collect child support from a very obscure asset over the years. Um, and in this case, it helped this Rhode Island custodial parent pay towards college tuition. So it makes us proud and happy. As well it should, Sharon, that, that is an often overlooked source of potential recoupment of child support obligations. And so I think your example is very, very appropriate. And wow, again, what an impact, what a positive impact on that child and the opportunities for continuing education that likely would not have existed without the assistance of the child support program. So thank you for sharing that and bringing that to our attention. Deb, Sharon, and Wally, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us, focusing on these so important human connections that we make through our work. Support is such an important dimension of the program. Your comments and insights benefit all of us, and I really appreciate your engagement with us today. This is Pat O'Donnell, and on behalf of NCIA, thank you for participating in today's podcast. Thank you very much, thank Pat. You. This thank was fun. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Take care. Bye. to Deborah, Wally, and Sharon for being on the show, and to Pat O'Donnell for leading the conversation. And thanks, of course, to Tim Leitner for all the work he does putting these episodes together. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcast. We have a lot of great things on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our episodes. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. On Location is a production of the INSEA Communications Committee with special help from the podcast subcommittee chair, Tim Leitner. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Joe Mamlin, and this has been On Location. On Location.